I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power, home of the GA Hour hurling ACA. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So I opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm heartbroken. I'm I don't know where to start uh, this week, Cheddar, because there's so much bloody going on in the hurling world. Uh, dominating the the news cycle hurling is for, since the Sunday game kicked off, there's been nothing but talk about Don Logue and Derek McGrath. We might get onto that a little bit um, later. There's been nothing but talk about VAR. Um, and all this coming after a brilliant weekend of hurling, which some people think this is overshadowing what was an absolutely brilliant weekend of hurling. Yeah, I think well, there's a little bit of that in it, all right. Um, ah, look, it was dominated by one or two comments, I suppose, more than anything else. It's, it still didn't, um, you know, I suppose, change the the um, feeling that people had about the two games. Like, they were just edge-of-the-seat stuff um, with a lot of, you know, good technical stuff going on in them as well for, you know, people that wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the game and that. Um, uh, and obviously, you know, I suppose two, the two winners just showed a, a level of, I suppose, relent that you know we haven't maybe seen for a little little while in, in different games and um, you know I suppose that underpins everything in hurling really um, so so I, I just think you know the the commentary and that look, we might we might talk about that later on um, but it probably did take a little bit away from the you know the, the general comment that should have been on the quality of the games I think somebody else mentioned that as well um, and particularly to do with you know different styles and that I don't think that that, that was dealt with adequately and I think there's an awful lot more discussion on that that you know could take place with, which which would inform people about what is going on on the field Yeah so one of the big t- one of the big things that's been called for is VAR to come into hurling now the GA's newly appointed national match officials manager He's Donny Smith from Mead. He's been talking about it on Monday. He says, how good can, can technology be in relation to the line ball on Saturday? Is it conclusive? Even if you had VAR, was it conclusive? Now, I would say that one was. The picture shown on television in relation to it didn't show a major deviation of the ball. The ball dipped rather than deviated. We always have to keep an open mind on technology. We're talking about refereeing. The work that referees are putting in to make a decision in a game is huge as well. So, like, I mean, he's not ruling it out, but he is making the point. Is VAR needed in hurling? I'm on the, I'm on the side to say that says no. But there's a lot of people calling for it, even even our own leash manager, Eddie Brennan. I, know, I, I certainly wouldn't like to see it. Um, I think anything that slows down the game in any shape or form, um, I just wouldn't go with, unless it was absolutely necessary. Um, you know, would it have added anything to the decisions that was made? Um, well, look, some of those decisions may very well have went against the decision of the referee. I've heard other various calls, Woolley as well, for a second referee to be to be in hurling at that. Look, I disagree with all of that. Um, I think even if you just wanted to, to sort 
sort of road test that decision against the decision that was made? Would they have changed anything? Um, well, if they did, they would have changed the interpretation, interpretation of the referee who was there. All of the decisions that was in dispute were well within the uh, eyesight of the referee and he made an interpretation on it based on what he saw. Um, and look, if you're going to go anything different than that, you're going to have a discussion on the field between two people which might take a couple of minutes to resolve and even if they're in dispute, you know, who who's the who is going to resolve that? Um, I do think... Well, the two, sorry, the two referees would ref either half so they wouldn't discuss anything. It's just with the ball being, say, a clearance when that lands, there's a re- there would be a referee closer to that action than, you know, there would be... I, I, I think that's madness, Willie, to be honest with you. Um, I do know in basketball it's a dude on both sides and that, and there may be other sports. Aussie rules, the uh, compromise rules and Aussie rules. Compromise rules and that. But that, that, look, that was more to do with the, the problems earlier on and, and two countries being involved in that rather than that the game, the, the, that the Aussie rules were so fast that they needed two referees on both sides of the field. It is an incredibly quick game um, and very, very physical. And, you know, some of the time, some of the, a lot of the stuff that we have here is just simply different interpretations. I do think Willie that you know looking back um, and I don't want to comment on the two referees on Sunday but we probably had more experienced referees over a number of years that we don't have now Um, um, and you know that's that's the first point I I would probably make Just Um, just on that the two referees at the weekend Alan Kelly and Sean Clare had never Ref the Noller in semi final before. No, that's true. But look, there's there's always going to be a first time, Willie. And I know Sean Clare very well, and I know I know Alan very well. Both of them started actually um, in the old um, Leinster Championship, um, the the preliminary Leinster Championship a number of years ago, and that's where they started to serve their time. And um, I would say I know I've commented on this before, Willie, and it's probably holding true now a little bit for Sunday as well. That in in those years, those referees were under you know I suppose such oversight from. A assessors and all of that that they're refereed absolutely by the rule um, and the referee and I mean I've said this a number of times actually Liam Sheedy has said this a number of times that the referee at that level in those years was much much stricter than what you would see at All-Ireland semi-final or final level or Leinster final level or even senior championship level at that time it was a very very different form of referee and, and you needed to know that to prepare your team for it and I, I just wonder is that change from you know refereeing strictly by the rule to your interpretation as you see it while still at the same time trying to allow the game the flow, you know, is that well managed? Right. I think there, I think there's a couple of things. Look, no more than players, you know. Let's let's consider the human aspect here. No more than players, people make mistakes. Nobody holds me as a manager or a player to account for missing a score or something like that. Limerick missed 15 or 16 of them in, in their game. Um, you know, did somebody point that out and say, look, um, you made a mistake there, you missed shots in front of the goal. That's the first point I'd like to make. The second point I'd like to make is that, look, you do need a bit of experience to referee at this level. And, you know, maybe maybe there's more time to be served or maybe there's another step to be served before you move up to that level. It's huge, huge pressure. Um, and, you know, particularly with, with a game that's, you know, where where both teams are really going at one another. Hurling games are easy enough to referee if the game is flowing and there's not a huge amount of tackling tackles flying in. It's not very competitive play and all of that. But when it's like it was last Saturday night and, and Sunday, where, you know, the, the tackling from certainly in one team in both games was, was you know, very, very serious and very, very tough, um, you know, then it's much more difficult to referee. The second point I would like to make on that, Willie, is I suppose to do with referees. Do we retire experienced referees too quickly when we know that we don't have a number of experienced referees to step into their yeah, shoes. I would in, say yes. In this instance, I think we do. We would. And no reflection um, on Sean and on Alan because like, no more than a player, no more than a manager, you've got to start somewhere and you've got to learn as you go along. This is learning on the job as you go along and gaining experience as you go along. So no reflection on them. But I would say this, would Barry Kelly and Dickie Murphy have been accused of the things that the lads made? And, you know, I think some of, some of the assessment of their decisions after that proved that they were right. It's just that the conditions, particularly with the goal and all of those things, that it, it was unfortunate it happened during the match. I do think and I would be a little bit critical of Willie Barrett in this in terms of the referees, uh, coordinator or director at the minute um, that look, the refereeing standards in the last couple of years haven't been what they have been in, uh, in other years. But I qualify that by saying no more than players or no more than any other walk of life. You may just simply not have had the, the quality of candidate uh, to do it at the minute. But um, I, you know, I'll wrap all of that up and, and I'll say, sorry, there's one other point I want to make, Willie. The referees on the sideline, or the, the sideline people in these games are top class referees. Yeah. They could very well yeah. be refereeing the All-Ireland. 
you know, why not have the team of referees on the day and give them a little bit more power that when they see something, I mean, it was madness, the, the sideline ball. And look, I disagree with uh, Donald Smith on that. I thought it was pretty clear that it touched something. Yeah. Look, the ball doesn't just change flight that much in midair or even though the likes of, of, of Paul Flynn from Waterford and some of these can bend the ball. But certainly that wasn't the case here. And I mean, the, the silence man was, was, what was he? Two or three metres away from it, ten metres. I mean, even even the even Buckley wasn't far enough back from the ball, so he was definitely was quite clear too. I mean, clearly saw that that the play or the ball was interfered with, but may not have just simply have had the power to actually call the referee and say, look, this this should be a free the other way or whatever they are should be retaken or whatever it is. Um, I may not have the power to do that. I think that would help. So not necessarily have you a, a referee going up and down the field, but you actually have three referees going up and yeah. down the field. If they, they should not be called linesmen. Linesmen. No, I agree with linesmen that. Yeah. Have only got one job to call line balls. Like, give me a break. These are referees. You're right. They're they're uh, referees. And here's another thing you wonder. I think we talked about this either on this show or on the football show. Are those linesmen who are also referees who want to get the final? And these are all competitors as well. Don't be fooled into thinking that they're not. Are they motivated or would they be happier if the referee who's refing the game is getting things a little bit out of control and now they're all in the same hat for an all-in final? No, like, do you think that feeds into uh, it? I, I think I, it does. I, I think it might be a valid point, uh, Willie. And you look, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen even the warm-up and that the referee, the main referee dictates the warm-up and all of that the referees do, even though the other two people may be more experienced on him than that. And I think if you had that sort of team ethos between the, the two sidelines, man, let's just call him that for the minute and the main referee um, look I don't think anything would get by them and if it did it would be an interpretation issue whereby you know you might interpret something based on what you think it is versus what he thinks it is and in this, in that instance I'd always defer to the referee I certainly won't, won't know the rules or how they should be applied more than the referee because that's what they're regularly trained on Well, there's one other point I just wanted to make uh, why are there so many instances now where when the ball goes wide or goes over the bar but doesn't go over the top of the goalposts, are we calling in the the, um, the uh, videos to, to, to look at that? Look, I just think if you're an umpire and you stand behind the goal, I've no problem in some of the ones, I've no problem if the sun is in your eyes, um, I've no problem if you're standing behind the goal because the shot's been taken from you know, a very different angle. But you, if you can't see a slitter going either left or right of the post I'm not so sure you should be there as an umpire in the first place yeah. and there just seems to be an awful lot of people just taking the easy way out here um, um, you know let's 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 call in the, the Hawkeye here to make a decision on that we're going to go to a stage some stage or other we don't need umpires at all let's just press the button for Hawkeye all of the time they're going they're going to it a lot now but yeah. we know umpires are lawless umpires umpires don't receive any training do they they're just friends of the referee like I mean anyone I can become an umpire I know I think I think at that level you probably would I don't know that I can't answer that question no they have their the referee has their teams and they travel that's yeah. their team and that's yeah. it yeah, and, and, and look, you, you, you've got to respect as well that the referee brings his team with him. And of course, when he gets an All-Ireland, look, that's, I suppose, the, the benefits that the umpires get and they're deserving of that. Look, you could say, why not referees in an All-Ireland semi-final and final? Why not referees as umpires and linesmen? You know, we've enough of them around and reward them properly for that. But, you know, if you were to do that, then you're saying to, to a referee, look, you have four people that's been travelling with you in the car. Yeah, to and they deserve their All-Ireland They deserve too. their All-Ireland. In National League matches below in Amore Park and Muck and shite and all of that and then you expect when the big day comes that you say sorry you're not travelling with me next Sunday I suppose that's unfair as well it's difficult to get it right but I just think if there's not training for them or tests for them similar to the, that there is for referees maybe there should be and you know that sort of do, that does away with that a little bit now we've got to take this on the chin really as well you are dependent on knowing your umpire and uh, you know knowing that he's going to see he, he's your eyes behind the goal but at the same time they don't use that enough now no they don't but at the same time you, you, you've got to depend on him but at the same time he needs to make the right decision I suppose he can't just make a favourable decision because he thinks that's what you want or something like that he needs to stand up on his own two feet and say this is what I saw no more than if it was a, an RTA on the road or something like that you know you need to stand up and say this is what I saw and you know if somebody else contradicts that well so be it two witnesses may have have two different views on things and then the referee interprets that makes his decision and I'll wrap up all of this because I've been on the record a long a number of times of saying this unless there's a, a serious deterioration in the quality of referees we're going to have to take some things on the chin uh, unfortunately it hurts some teams in very very big games and all of that and some people you know I think went a little bit far and says oh the referee cost, us, cost Limerick uh, last Sunday Sunday evening well 
did Limerick cost themselves by shooting 16 wides rather than the referee? I think I think we yeah. should, you know. I, I think there's a culture in the GA cheddar and we've heard them all at matches and you hear lads five minutes into the game and they're on the referee's back. Yes. And that, that, that culture is there. Now, I was never involved in it. I don't, I don't really... I don't pay much attention to the referee unless it's a blatant thing but there are a huge amount of people that adjust their obsession from the time to start watching a match is that the referee's riding them and yeah. that's in the yes. GEA and we yes, know lads is. like that yes. so the referee's always going to come under scrutiny I think the the solution of calling the two linesmen assistant referees and giving them more uh, more authority yes. but also like more scrutiny as well because l- let's be honest they're on easy streets imagine getting a linesman job in a, in a big match you're yes. waving a flag right or left. No, I fully and agree with that. Uh, and, you know? and it should be mic'd up with the referee. You know, considering yeah. her technology is gone now, um, he, he, the, the sidelines man should be a referee in, every, in everything but maybe even name, I'd say. Assistant um, referee. Stop call, yeah. We should stop calling them linesmen. But I, I just make one other comment because um, you mentioned about Alan and you mentioned about Sean. I thought um, Brian Gavin was harsh in his commentary on the two lads. Um, you know, Brian's a former and a very, very experienced referee and a very, very good one. Um, but I thought he should have understood that this is the first time that these guys were refereeing at this level and you know should have qualified what he said in terms of in terms of the comments he made about the two buys What about his comment on this was in the examiner he said that Sean Clear shouldn't have been appointed shouldn't have been appointed to take charge of the all in semi-final because he's from Kilkenny now this is being said I don't I don't think he'd have done and first I don't think he had done enough to be given the job which is okay a little bit harsh but look you're entitled to your opinion and then when Kilkenny were in the other semi-final the day before it only added to the pressure on him so there's no question that Sean is going to favour a team but there's a lot of there's a lot of spotlight on him and pressure on him not to be seen to favour team which you know what I mean it, mm. it just can mess up your decision or thought process or decision making maybe uh, I'll take the two points Willie and they're sort of interrelated really if you were an experienced referee that wouldn't come into it at all and I genuinely never saw a referee um, look he wouldn't know anyway you know did Brian Cody want to play Limerick or, or did he want to play Wexford or did he want to play Tipperary I'd say Sean wouldn't, know, wouldn't have known Yeah. Um, and I've never seen a referee in my time looking at it that I thought that they favoured somebody now maybe at the lower levels but certainly not at inter-county level um, and I just thought that that even you know Brian's a former referee knows that that's not right and, and uh, you know I don't think he should have said that I think I'm going back to the other point in terms of, of Sean Clear's experience um, you know he's been certainly refereeing in a number of years and has a level of experience but I think this is going back to the Willie Barrett in terms of the appointment and that um, you know do they judge that uh, players have enough experience and enough expertise to be able to uh, you know referee this this game and as I said you know referees can be very unfortunate and get a game that's very difficult to referee you know how many times have we said oh your man was a great referee because he let the game flow and we didn't see him well, we didn't see him because the, the game allowed him not to be seen. He might come into the very next game with two different teams playing in a different way where they're going at one another's throats from the very, very start and yeah. there's a few there's timber flying and all of that and now he's going to have to intervene and now we do see him. You know, so some people, I, I find sometimes that there's, you know, ridiculous comments about that and I'll wrap this up uh, coming back to what you said, Wooly. You might hear... Um, uh, like any supporter saying oh the referee rode and he did this and he did that and he did, he did the other and you'll just turn your head the other way and you'll hear a group of Tipperary supporters or Cork supporters or whoever it is saying the very same thing against them now yeah. surely somebody in the middle has to say you know he, he's either one way or he's the other or he's totally bad altogether yeah. I don't know it, it actually seems to be that way now if you're following on Twitter that both sets of supporters are saying they're being rode and it's mm. just like people see someone saying it and then they're agreeing I don't think there's any logic to it because I didn't mm. think like you could argue that uh, the referee in the Tip Wexford match was very harsh on Tipperary and if you're to break break it down there's two genuine goals that should have been allowed that weren't you know and that's not even the Hawkeye goal that there's two goals either side of that that should have been um, given but then you could see some other examples of of uh, freeze that they get a potential penalty against Wexford I don't know like I mean it's just constant giving out about the referee it seems to me maybe it's the way Hurland's gone now that that middle third so congested and people don't know what frees are and the referees just coming. It seems to be a new thing. Maybe it's just this weekend, but um, the referees just coming under outlandish scrutiny. Well, look, um, the first, I suppose, if you were to ask, how can I test this? You ask anybody to define the tackle. Yeah, and that's I'll, a big problem. I tell you, I'll be here a long time before somebody will give me the exact yeah. same answer and we'll get it right. Um, so if 
if the tackle in most instances are in the ruck um, are in the I suppose battle for possession of the ball if most frees happen within that and we can't actually define what that is even standing back here go. with all of these video yeah. and all these analysis tools how do we expect a referee to get it right every time um, and I, another tip point I made on Monday Cheddar not to cut you off is because referees are encouraged to let it flow and you want to let yes. it flow they let some fouls go yep. so what foul can you let go and what foul do you blow then so any foul you blow you're riding this because you've let other you know yep. and we don't want to see a referee blowing every foul or else the game will be terrible to watch so what the hell how the well, hell do you improve this you, then you, you can't and look there's, you know this is human people making the best doing the best that they can now I think if a referee is consistently poor uh, well then look he, you know he shouldn't get the big matches or so you know, and I'm not saying that uh, but what I'm saying is that key influencers in the GA should just simply stand up and say I looked at that game that referee made a couple of mistakes both wise so would I if I was there so would you um, and either we completely change the rules of the game and, and go to VAR and go to all these technologies to stop the game and we're stop starting all of this type of stuff like rugby um, if uh, if we go to, if yeah. we go to that I won't be going to hurl it's terrible matches, no, it'll be you. terrible because not only are umpires going to Hawkeye a bit more yeah. now you're going to be going to v- yeah. like I said on Monday there were so many incidents in Wexford tip you could have made a case for VAR eight times yes. Now you throw your three Hawkeyes onto that. That's a load of nonsense. Well, that, like that, that's really what I mean here. And would you blame a referee if he was getting this amount, this oh, yeah. brunt, this brunt yeah. of criticism yeah. when he has got this uh, this tool in his back pocket to press the button and say, we're going to go to VAR, we're going to go yeah. to whatever they're going. You'd be at it the whole time. Of course yeah. going to go to it. Why wouldn't he to, 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 to stop this? So I'd say, you know, key GA influencers, stand up and be counted here and call this for what it is. I'm not saying that poor refereeing should be allowed. No, it shouldn't. We should we should train people up. We should keep the experienced ones um, and whatever needs to be done to make that the best we can. But when that's, that's done, stop all this, this sort of silly criticism. Yeah, OK, that's fair enough. I was actually surprised that a lot of hurling people, which I thought would be allergic to VAR, were actually calling it in. It was a weird one. I, I, I think that's driven, Woolly, uh, by, by something different. Um, I think you always need to look at it. Well, why are, why are sort of trend going left or right here? I think that's maybe driven by um, a perception among pe- people that players are given so much now that everything needs to be exactly right and perfect nothing's going to be perfect right okay well that's fair enough talking about nothing being perfect the Sunday game came in for big criticism <laughs> on Sunday night um, Derek McGrath and Don Logue in particular um, there's, a, there's loads of different talking points in this right so like I mean my take on this was that it was completely the wrong timing for this both men had made these points before it looked a little bit like an agenda that did a chip on their shoulder about this another thing is they're criticising colleagues of theirs on the Sunday game they're criticising legends of the game like Gerald Nan, Cyril Farrell Liam Sheedy Ken McGrath Henry Shefflin all these fellas saying their analysis wasn't good enough it sounded a little bit egotistical you know and didn't hit the right tone of what that show should have started with and now RT producers need to be stronger and say right lads that's a, that's maybe a valuable chat but further down the show we can't start with this or else it looks like an agenda you know what I mean that's a production problem it looks like Don Logue kicked it all off and Derek got sucked into it Derek's no problem uh, banging this drum he's done it before already He he's clearly been a little bit hurt by watching the Sunday game and incorrect analysis from that he could see and he's watched this for five years uh, so yeah. it's understandable on a human level that he wants to point this out um, but at the same time I don't want to make the point that I could, would completely disagree with them having had that conversation in the first section of that show y- Yes um, I'd agree with a lot of the points Willie, and there's some of them I would disagree with um, and I, I might just look at the ones that, that I agree with first of all um, I think there were two brilliant games I don't think it should have set the tone Um and I think, you know, th- this is something that, you know, if this had happened during the course of the game and it was knee-jerk reaction to a question that was asked or something like that, I would accept it. Um, obviously, it's a Sunday game. People had plenty of time to to review what they were going to say and, and, and so on and so on. Um, it was more than planned. And Des Cal did nothing to stop that know, conversation a, if it wasn't planned. No, he he I, facilitated that conversation. I think anybody that knows the media would, would, would sort of know, uh, you know, what actually happened there. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it probably... You know, it probably arose really um, from Davy being asked the question, um, and I, I just think that you know 
Davy himself might want to answer this differently in future. Instead of reacting to somebody asking about, you know, what do you think the sweeper system and do you think it's the right one for Wexford and do you think it's successful and all of those and all of those things. Um, and I think, you know, he, I think Davy just needs to show his own confidence in what he believes himself. Um, and he just simply needs to answer that. Yes, I do. And, you know, what's more importantly, my team do. And that kills everything. Um, and I think, you know, he may very well, if he wanted to go a step further and something like that, he may very well ask, um, you know, obviously the question then is leaning towards is, is the sweeper, you know, system stifling, hurling and that. Um, and he may very well draw a comparison with what Brian Hogan said that, you know, um, bear in mind, Brian Hogan was centre halfback on the best Kenny team or the best team ever. Um, so he's generally speaking, reflecting how that best team played. And his comments really was, well, look, let's let's pull into their best players and let's tear into the game here. Um, that's their, our primary way of doing things. And, yeah. you know, they I thought, sorry to cut you off. I thought Brian Hogan's was gassed. I was reading his comments and he was adamant that Kilkenny didn't do tactics. And then he continued on to discuss what Correct, tactics, yeah. that, what th- tactics th- they did. I thought that was interesting. But <laughs> even just from Davies and Derek's perspective that, you know, if you were to ask the question, and look, I'm Uli, I'm not going to let journalists off here. I think journalists are very, very lazy in their their sort of synopsis and their and their analysis of this, with, with a couple of notable exceptions uh, um, um, that you know do look at this. Um, but you know, they just they just look at the periphery of this. Let's look at Wexford, and let's. Well, I'm not even going to comment on what Wexford are doing. I'm commenting on what Davy is saying they're doing, and I'm commenting on what Brian said they were doing. What stifles creative hurling more? A sweeper who tried to work the ball up the side and find space to get the scores or that you go in and you take out their best players. I don't mean take them out uh, outside of the rules, but you get into the face and you play in the face. Uh, you know, so so I think that it's that level of discussion that needs to take place rather than just, I think, just lazy articles about, you know, real high level analysis of, of you know, it's nearly populist at this stage to go against a sweeper and that. And look, I'm, I'm just going to roll on a little bit on that, Woolly, a little bit. Yeah. Because um, I suppose, why do you play with, with sweepers? And l- let's bring that, that discussion on a little bit more. Um, because if you want to stay traditional and just beat the ball up and down the field, well, look, that goes against a lot of team sports and what has happened in a lot of major team sports um, over the years. And I suppose you have, to, you have to ask first, why do managers and coaches come up with different methods of play? And there's a number of reasons. The main one is to try and gain an edge in the opposition. They're not ready for you. You're bringing something new to the table. They're not able to deal with it. Um, you get an edge during the game and you keep it to the end of the game. You win the match and then you move on. Um, or you may not very well be a strong county traditionally and you may not have the volume of quality players either forwards or backs or or midfielders or something like that and you've got to play in a different way because at the end of the day your best chance is to play the best system that suits your players not what your supporters think or anybody else Um, so that may very well be a reason and you may the most important thing is you design a method of play to suit your personnel and let's just compare this to, to, to soccer and it don't look at soccer. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I just know this little bit about it. Um, there was there was different different changes in soccer over the years. Started off in the early 1900s and early late 1800s, um, and I think it was nearly two people up the field where you generally speaking sold at the ball to the next man. And if you t- if you know you were under, under pressure, you only passed it then. There certainly wasn't a combination play and all of those type of things. Um, and I suppose in the 30s, I think the the, the the English team changed that around. They looked at a more structured setup. They brought backs, they brought sort of centre halves into the game. I think that uh, Chapman was the, the manager to actually do that. Um, and in the 50s, the Hungarian team, they had a different way of playing as well. They had a, a way of playing which is not dissimilar to the way coaches are, are going at the minute. Um, they, they, they dropped, they had their striker dropped deeper and um, he was a sort of a playmaker as such. And the idea was really to find space to put the ball into, to move on to the, and, and to play. Um, and I suppose that was their way really to get, to get attackers into into space to receive the ball rather than just passing it man to man and again it moved on we all know now in the recent period about Dutch football um, I think it has been described as you know any player in any position could, position could turn up anywhere and be able to play that position Total football Total that was, I think that was Don Logue's uh, point it was a silly point talking about the last remnants of colonialism in the island but the point he was making about the British being slow to accept change within their game and it was the Hungarians and the Dutch that evolved soccer 
Is that the kind of twisted point he was making? The idea to compare yeah. people criticism with the English, that was silly. Yeah. But there was a, 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 a point that maybe he was trying to make in there. I think his point well, will you? I do fully agree with that. And if I was just finishing off, off on that, look, you had obviously Barcelona with Tiki Taka and then you moved on to the gig and press. Somebody else described that in a, in a hurling article there recently as well that Klopp used with, with Liverpool. And I think that um, Donald was was trying to, to, to describe that um, and obviously sailed into the political sphere I don't know I, I, I don't know what Irish man now is not confident enough to stand on his own two feet and not worry about what happened a hundred years ago and all of those type of stuff so I don't know the logic of the point he was making I only assume that that's what he was trying to explain that that, that soccer uh, analogy is such that it took him a long time and it wasn't really English people outside of Chapman that made these sort of changes to you know to yeah. get up to the modern game incidentally Woolley just on another game that's very tactically based is basketball and uh, not dissimilar you know, there was periods in basketball as well through great coaches um, that you know had to I suppose adapt to the circumstances that were in front of them um, and their teams reflected that you would have liked Wooden and Dean Smith and, and uh, Pitino um, I think Pitino was the guy that, that uh, you know when the three, three point, uh, point line came into play all his teams for some reason or other scored way way more three pointers and obviously were very very successful in doing that than other teams so he had to reflect that did though with um, you know in basketball there was a time when coaches used to hold onto the ball to try and get the player into the right place to take the shot and of course then that delayed the game and had to bring in the 30 second rule and then the 24 second rule clock and so on so on one other point I wanted to make on that if you compare um the, the sweeper system if you compare at, at the minute the Golden State Warriors I think they've won three NBAs in a row or certainly three in four years anyway um, and they're they're phenomenal three-point shooters not diff, that terribly different Willie, to a sweeper system where you've got to shoot from, from distance you need good shooters from distance um, so there are some parallels here in innovative ways of playing the game that coaches have brought in that were successful in other sports and that would be successful in hurling and without a shadow of a doubt if Limerick had got their uh, long range shooting right they were like I've seen some articles that said oh little Kenny pressed them put the pressure on them they didn't I was at the game they literally just shot them wide there was nobody on them in, in, in some instances so if they had got their long range shooting right they would have clearly won the game against Kenny and we would have a whole different picture and a different view then about structured play versus versus um, you know the traditional play as such and I'll make one other comment Willie, and I, w- I want to go back to one other point here why did Wexford what was the key part of Wexford losing the game? Um, I think in the last 15 minutes, even though they had a man up, whether it was under panic pressure, I don't think it was an instruction because Davy more or less cleared that up after the game. Wexford actually went traditional. At a time when they should have really stayed doing what they were doing, that an extra man... Uh, an extra man in the back and what did they do play high ball up the field this is going back to traditional Put the ball high into Tony Dorn and we'll play off the breaks except they should have done the exact opposite of what they were doing beforehand work the ball up the sides work it across the field wreck Tipperary players in, in terms of conditioning uh, and move them around the place and they didn't do it so I think you know even the, the, the result um, certainly really justifies this that you may very well have a way of playing and I'm not saying it's sweeper it could be there's a whole different methods of playing but once you go back traditional there's nothing saying that the traditional will win the game which is I think it's the, the, the sort of you know a sort of a sense of what's coming out of the argument out of some yeah, quarters that I would the traditional game will, will, will win you things th- that, that's, the, that's the argument and the whole thing and I do take the Derek and Don Logue's point this kind of analysis they let the shackles off and that's why they won when Derek's saying that we didn't actually let the shackles yeah. off and I remember bit of analysis from because Joe Brawley be at this same kind of thing on the football it was a conic final between Roscommon and Galway and Roscommon did well in the first half and he blamed Galway's structure for that and then Galway won well in the second half because they had a strong wind and they took over in midfield and when you take over in midfield you're winning kickouts and your forwards are actually you know in an offensive position and he said they let the shackles off they didn't I was at the game they didn't change anything and Kevin Walsh their manager confirmed that with me the next day so I I completely sympathise because coming from the Sunday game pundits for too long was analysis based around intensity analysis based around the sweeper being really bad and analysis around that if you ended up winning the game with a sweeper it's because you took the shackles off now I hated that stuff and thought it wasn't fair now in the Sunday game pundits defence the sweeper has evolved so the sweeper we saw on Sunday for Wexford was a lot different than the sweeper we saw with Derek McGrath for example whereas 
Wexford wasted very little ball. Like they used they used the ball brilliantly from runners coming from the back. I think when that sweeper started, it was more of a defensive sweeper. Now you see them using the sweeper in a different way by freeing up their defenders just to take off, bring the forwards out of position. And I thought back with Derek's sweeper when they were playing that, I thought they hit a lot of aimless ball down to the forwards, whereas Wexford don't hit as much aimless ball anymore. Mm. So as the sweeper is evolving, some of the criticism of the sweeper at the start wasn't a sweeper, it was of use of ball. It was, you know, I can kind of see it from both sides a little bit. There's not as much criticism of the sweeper now because the sweeper, and absolutely, I'm sure if Derek McGrath was still manager of Waterford, they would have, you know, evolved the sweeper maybe a bit more Leash used the sweeper in a very offensive way and they never wasted ball they never drove you know stupid ball down on outnumbered players but I think that in the Sunday game Pundit's defence their criticism of the sweeper three years ago wouldn't be their criticism of it now if you get me I I disagree with that Willie to be honest with you I think Derek's uh, some not all of the time but some of the time and particularly with Ozzy coming from deep in that um um, you know there's obviously different methods of playing it but I I will go back to Davey on Sunday um, he obviously changed the sweeper um, because you need a certain type of player to play that. I'm not saying Sean Murphy wasn't that, um, but th- you know this is a different way of playing it, and it gives an awful lot of options because you can shove your sweeper up in front of the eleven if you wanted. There's a lot of options to be able to do with this, which I think we will see over the next couple of years, which sort of confirms your point. But the point I want to make is this: How many times did um, Wexford wing backs and midfielders turn up on the opposite side of the field, and we'd, we'd call it the open side of the field? In other words, the players on one sideline and the open side then is the other sideline. How many times did that happen? It happened an awful lot and yeah. it was very, very effective. And I'm going back now to basketball. That's a basketball play about where you take the ball up and then you change the direction to the far side. Okay, it's much smaller um, rectangle and all of those things, much easier to implement. But that's... And I'll go back but you to can only do that if you run the ball. See, Wexford ran the ball very well. If you're, yes, clear, you if you're clearing that down the field, those attacking backs aren't up in time. And you know, that was a criticism. I don't want to be criticism, criticising water for too much, but I thought they cleared too much ball down instead of running it through the hands definitely you need to work the ball through the hands but probably all game plans now are are underpinned by that um, you know real clever hand pass um, real good movement of your players good support play but the crit- crucial one is good 30 metre hurley passes to the hand if you can do that um, look in any, in any of the ways where, incidentally you know if you look at uh, Dublin um, and you look at their sort of motion offences and that um, you know they work it from one side and they immediately switch it to the other place searching out the space um, look it's not dissimilar um, and you know so we're, we're, we're very critical, critical of it in one place and not in another um, now I'm just going to talk about something else Willie because um, I, I don't you know I, I, it all depends on your personnel and it depends on your history and I know uh, you know I'm going to put my own hand up here and, and say look I started off with a sweeper with Leash um, well, Leash had conceded 10 goals you play your first match and you concede another 10 you can kiss goodbye to your next three years very very quickly you need to solidify at the back make yourself difficult to beat and hopefully that when you do that then you can take a couple of steps forward and move on with that you have no business whatsoever going in wide open with inexperience at that level and think that you're going to just you know increase performance 100% you're going to increase pace of players and all of that it doesn't happen like that so you've got to do something to, to make yourself difficult to beat first and then that's your platform work from there but there's one other point on that Willie before we actually go off it there's a couple of points that I suppose that, that, that we'd want to make on that um, and there are bigger issues here that haven't been discussed and I don't know why they haven't been I mean, you know, Davy has, has confirmed after the game that you know he may not continue and I sincerely hope that he does but even if he continued for a year what happens next for Wexford have Wexford planned that you know, are they going to continue with that method of play for the next 10, 15 years? Um, and if they are, are they looking at a certain type of manager that can Im- implement that? Or are they going to change it around completely? You know, are, are, there certainly was, um, we heard it on Thursday night ourselves, Willie, where, you know, people were questioning the sweeper system and, you know, should we go back to the traditional way of hurling for? I can tell you that will be a very difficult task for whoever comes in. And Parg is finding out that in Watford at the minute. The problems here are this. You have a, you have a defence who, generally speaking, they may they may play off their man when the ball is the far side of the field, but when the ball is coming into your area, it's man to man, it's hip to hip, it's 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 in his face. You can afford to do that because your sweeper is now marking the zones. 
So you don't have as much to do as a defender, and your behaviours are very, very different in this. You know, you know, you can go, you can go hard for the ball, and if you miss it in the breaks, he's going to pick it up, and all of those things. Similarly, on the other side of the field, the the mobility runs of the forwards are, generally speaking, reasonably structured to, to force space and to make space. But certainly, the, the distribution zones that you want to put the ball into are pretty well defined for the team. You know what's going to happen. You change all that uh, game plan around for next year, and that's a serious issue for Liam and for and for Matt and all of those players. You're into behavioural issues now. In other words, I was used to doing this routine for the last three or four years, and now you're expecting me to do something completely different and I would suspect I don't know but I would suspect that that's the key issue behind what has happened in Waterford and that's very difficult to you know manage your way through I suppose you know that could take a year or two so I think that's one issue I think the other issue is that that I'd love to see journalists discuss is there's you know what your hurling development plan for the county what your athlete development plan for the county do you need to start to know what type of game you're playing at senior level because at the end of the day that's what you're training players to play for do you need to know that beforehand before you actually develop the strategy for your hurling development plan for the county because Wexford at the minute at under 14 under 16 and, and at minor could very well be playing the long game knock the ball into the square and so on and so on when for the next four or five years hopefully Davy stays there they're going to be playing a completely different game and now a minor coming into that setup has to learn all of these things when he should start to know about it already. And the last point I'll make Willie, I suppose, I just think that Don Logue needs to be a little bit careful um, in commentary like that. Uh, clearly he's a very, very passionate Cork man. Uh, clearly he has a huge competencies to manage and coach his county and I would assume that that, you know, that would be a goal of his. Um, but look, he must know that there's a, plenty of people in Cork County Board who only just love to have a reason to say, Donald, I don't think you're going to get the job here. Um, and you've got to ask the question, you know, in a really um, high-intensity pressured environment, standing on the sideline as John Myler was or as John Kylie was or as Davey was uh, last weekend and, you're, and these questions are put to you, how do you react to that when you reacted to a studio question like last Sunday? So, you know, Davey doesn't need a plonker like me to give him any advice around that but I think he does need to think about things like that um, if he certainly has 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 uh, plans to go on and manage Cork and I would love to see that in time obviously I would like to see John Myler staying there and giving that another year but in time I think Davey, I think Don Logue would bring you know an awful lot to Cork Yeah yeah. Derek, Ken McGrath said absolute nonsense ego's gone out of control now I know Derek McGrath from meeting him a couple of times I don't think Derek McGrath has an ego at all unless one has developed I think he's egoless actually I think he's so of the earth I think Don Logue might have a bit of an ego I've had one dealing with him before when I worked with Off the Ball where he rang me up and he wasn't very nice to me on the phone over something Jared Gilroy said I didn't like the way he spoke to me so I think maybe in my opinion he could have uh, an ego and he seemed to set the tone um, with that whole conversation so look um, we'll leave it there Cheddar and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the matches Remember my mother, Lord Merson, she's dead. She's eight years this year. She never saw me holding live, but she always went to the matches to the hotel, the two finals, and we got off the bus after the first one. And the first person to meet me was my mother, and she said, "Look, what's meant to be is meant to be." She said, "Keep the head up." I said, "Grant, no matter, man, thanks." Ninety-six, back to the hotel again. First person <laughs> off the bus, my mother. He says, ah, look, what's meant to be at some hammer? Give it a fucking ride. So you've touched on Davy Fitz's future. So he was non-committal. He's done his two years. Two years. He's done three years. He's done three years. years. Yeah. Um, do you think Davy will have a lot of regrets after that match? I think I think he will. Um, he brought on Nolan on for Murphy, which was an offensive. Like, see, you, you can't be critical of this because at the time that was an offensive substitution, and. Like, I mean, if he hadn't made that offensive substitution and they lost, they would have said, oh, well, that was very negative. So, like, I mean, it, it wasn't a bad substitution. But he did say this after the game. I just feel the sending off. You'd think it would work for you. It actually didn't. It allowed Tip more space and they got to avoid our sweeper a good bit. They played smart. But the reason that happens is because of the substitution Davey made. So he's, you know, he's, he's drawn attention 
to the fact that it was down to six on five rather than seven on five or seven on mm. six? Um, yeah, I suppose, look, the difficult thing with all of these things, um, you can never have the counterfactual in a game. You know, in other no. words, if it had played another way, here's what would have happened. But um, I think he'll blame himself for that substitution. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think at the time, uh, clearly, it was a substitution that he would have thought about beforehand. Um, and look, Ed Nolan is a fair hurler. It's not, you're not bringing on anybody. I mean, even in, in uh, Wexford Park on the Saturday night against Kilkenny, um, even though he got a red card at the end of the match, um, but he is a key influencer in the team in the way they're hurling that. I take her pint, Willie, but look, the other side of it is if, if Tipperary had a snuck out by a pint and, and Wexford didn't go for it, you know, would you feel equally, you'd probably feel Ah, you would, then, of course. You know? yeah, so yeah. I, I think it's a difficult one to call. I think, I think, he will certainly have regrets about it. I think Wexford hurled brilliantly, um, really liked what they did. Um, but I think the last 15 minutes, um, the team and, and Davey and everybody will have you know re- some regrets about, about that. I do think, Willie, that they might have used the substitutions maybe a little bit quickly, but it, uh, I'd be very careful what I'd say there, you know, because I'm assuming that they have all the analysis uh, at their fingertips in terms of who's covering what and who's likely yeah. to fatigue at certain levels and all of that. Um, and look, generally speaking, the sports scientists will move me along giving you an answer on that, um, that, you know, your performance levels drop by a certain percentage after you go past the red line and blah, 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 blah. I'm assuming that that, 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 that the substitution were made on that. But it just didn't look like I just thought that, you know, some expert players, um, you know, they were really, they, were, they just seemed to really have the better of their temporary opponents. And, you know, when the substitutions were made, it just didn't seem like that after that. But look, that could just be that the ball wasn't flowing there. You know, it's really, very really difficult yeah. to make and those. Here's a big thing that happened is when Wexford had the extra man, they went for, they went long with 14 of their next that, 15. That, that was crucial. Isn't that crucial? And yeah. they, lost, they lost 10 of them. Now you have to remember who they're poking it down on. Brendan Maher, Podrick Maher and Ronan Maher. What are these lads' strength? Like, I mean, the whole talk of Tipperary is that these lads are unbeatable in the air. Like, it's yeah. a huge strength. So, Jesus, when Davy looks back on that, he'd be going, what were we thinking here at that point? Or where was the man behind the goals that we was highlighted? To, you know, to say, here, stop this. Well, I, I think, Willie, that was probably certainly was advised. Um, you know, look, if your goalkeeper was, was doing that and, um, you know, maybe the pressure got to him and the game pressure and that got to him, you would certainly would go in and give him an instruction to work the ball through the hands. Bear in mind that that was successful for them before that. They've planned it very well. They're very good at it. You know, why wouldn't you stick at it? But if you were if you were a player up, you definitely will do that. Drag Tipperary around the field, force them to come back to field. Instead of that, they've done the opposite. Um if, even Wooly, if you look at the videos of, if you look at the the, 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 the video of those puckouts, just before the ball lands, it just looked like that all the Wexford players were stacked up the middle, so they didn't even spread the play out in that. Look, and these things can happen, you know. You, you can be on the sideline, you can't get word in. Look, you wouldn't, you couldn't hear the person who was beside you talking to you, um, um, on, uh, in in the course of these games. So it's difficult to get word into p- people like that, but. That's what happened. And it, it was the exact wrong game to play against a tiring tip team um, and against, you know, someone who have a good little bit of mileage on the clock, although I never really, you know, think about that a whole lot because... It didn't look like it. Ten, ten, well, well, you look at some of the greatest marathon runners in the world have been well into their 30s, maybe into their 40s, and they were still performing. So if that's a, an endurance event and a 70 minutes hurling match is the same, well, look, that sort of blows that out of the water. Um, but but I just think that what they did, and, you know, it was more or less, look, let's go along and dog it out. Now, I'll say all of that and say we were five pints up. Let's. There may be a, a feeling that would get into the team quickly. Let's get the ball out of the danger area. Get it up there. Keep it up there as long as we can, and we'll just see out this match. And look, it might have worked, but I just think that um, Wexford didn't stick to what served them really well earlier on, which, which is what I've described. Work the ball up one, one wing. Have a runner, could be even a wing back, coming up the far the far wing in open space, putting the ball across the field. Now you have a temporary back line that's sprinting 30 metres to the right and immediately have to sprint another 60 to go left. Yeah. And look, that's not easy. You know, you're going to buckle sometime. And I just felt that they played into Tipperary's hands. And you're right, playing into... Ro- I, I think Rowan was at full back. I think I, I think we, we might look at Tipperary, Woolley, because I... I, I, I said some things on Thursday night which all didn't come to pass but which a lot of them did they shot from distance they moved uh, um, what do you call them no, the centre moved bubbles onto the wing so they definitely had a shoot from distance uh, uh, plan here and even if you look at well what's the, what would you expect to see if that's what they were doing 
not a lot of ball went into their full forward line, even though they have two, they had two fair players in there. I think I think Shane McCallan and only only I think he maybe struck maybe six or seven balls. It would be unlike him because they normally feed him very 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 well. Here's the stats on Shane McCallan from just three plays in the first half. This is Christy O'Connor on RT website has this. From just three first half players, he scored one one and set up a point. And from four second half plays, he scored a point. He had a shot saved for a converted sixty five and was fouled for a free. He'd seven possessions. Well, look, that, that probably explains my point, Willie. Yeah. And like they, they put two workers in the middle of the field. Um, I, I thought Tibbs set up very well, and I thought their half back line was set up well. And I think they brought uh, that second marriage shot back to the full back line, then brought Brendan back as well. And, it, and, and, and I think I actually remember seeing Barry Heffernan a number of times over the last couple of years. There's He's an Ian Aero club man. Um, Tommy, there was a number of them, uh, um, that, a number of his family that are very, very good hurlers around the tip panel for a number of times over the last couple of years. But this is a tall player, very athletic player, and he certainly dropped the blade a few times on, on, on Sunday, which I didn't, ex- you know, didn't expect that, that I'd see. He was certain there was a bit of. Um, hardness about him and toughness about him on Sunday in other words I'm not taking a step back here um, and I think he's a he's a natural wing back because he's got pace to play that he's height and I think the structural changes that Liam and that Eamon and that Tommy and Dara made were crucial to the way Tipperary played but what was absolutely crucial was their ability to be able to score points you know in very little room contrast that with Limerick on Saturday night if Limerick had had uh, that type of finishing power that are probably beating Kilkenny by 10 points. I'm exaggerating but certainly 5 or 6 yeah. points quite easily. Um, so I, I think a lot of credit has to go to uh, Tipperary management for setting up the way they did um, and I thought it was quite successful. Incidentally, Woolley, there's one other point that um, might 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 wish to be made. Uh, we talk about Shamey. Um, I think the only ground strike in the whole match was Shamey Callan's goal. I could be wrong. And we're going back now to you know sweeper game and all of that. Um, is ground hurling now simply dead? And you know, I've certainly heard. Well, it is. Well, I've heard heard a lot of people, you know, in the last couple of years, and I've heard some awfully people in the last couple of years, you know, bemoaning the fact that the awfully ground hurling game that we don't play it anymore. And um, you know, I think while you stay thinking about that, um, you're probably not going to progress. We're talking about innovation of hurling and staying up at the times and and all of that type of stuff. And you know, I'm just going to finish off on that point that we discussed earlier on. There, there's a, certainly a fantastic discussion needed around all of that um, in terms of different styles of hurling in counties and so on, so on. What's successful and what won't be successful and so on. That's the level of depth that I would expect. I'd actually love you. You mentioned Christy O'Connor. He's one of the people who just doesn't take what he sees on the surface as as being as being the real thing. He digs under the skin here and looks at the facts and tries to associate the facts with you know the reasons why trends are happening during the game. Um, and he be certainly would be a very good man to have a look at all of this in, in its entirety and look at different styles and what's effective and what isn't effective and so on. Yeah. So Tipperary are having an open training session on Wednesday, July 31st, tonight. So anyone listening wants to get down and they want to get that out of the way, it's a meet and greet. Because let's be honest, the All-Ireland final is on Sunday yeah. fortnight. Like, I mean, this is, isn't is a big month turnaround that it used, that used to be. It's three weeks and... You want to get that out of the way. And it's nice to connect with the fans as well, because let's be honest, Tipperary didn't travel in that many numbers. And I suppose Liam is trying to get them all on board and maybe get that kind of, you know, All-Ireland final Mm. atmosphere and maybe fervour and maybe just to connect with the supporters and maybe say thanks to the ones that came up to Croke Park. I suppose that's the thinking behind that. I think think it was a good decent tip crowd there actually Willie there was just simply a massive Wexford crowd they were out drowned out yeah. oh, it was absolutely I mean it, it's disappointing that they're not in all Ireland even just from that point alone um, God they're the most passionate supporters you know we spoke about this um, on Thursday night they're the most passionate uh, supporters you will find anywhere um, you know so I, I don't think it was necessarily that Tip didn't travel um, but you will always want to connect with your supporters I mean that's a huge part of the, the identity of the team where they sit within the community who they represent and all of that those are, are important wirings hard wirings within the team that you always need to go back and just double check and you will always do um, you know a meet and greet with supporters and that anyway I mean that's part of the development of the game in the county and of course you want to get it out early because you need to concentrate on your game plan for the following Sunday yeah exactly Um, some Limerick stats just to finish up with this is from Christy O'Connor again wait here it is the Limerick half forward line right 27 possessions combined between the three of them 
Now, I would say in some Limerick games, you might see one of them getting 27 possessions. Do you know what I mean? So, like, there's your answer straight away why Limerick didn't get into their flow because their half forward line didn't get into the game or didn't weren't allowed to get into the game or wasn't the same space for them or all these things. Um, yeah, and I just thought there was some lazy comment on, on, on that as well, uh, Willie, on Limerick. Um, I thought in the first 15 minutes, just... Kilkenny were right in their face they were um, rightly aggressive and all of that why wouldn't you be um, the one thing that you really need against a, stru- a team that plays through structure and that uh, plays possession game and works the ball through the hands you need a great tackling plan and you need to be aggressive and, and knock them off their perch um, and certainly Kilkenny brought that to the game but I thought after 15 minutes that Limerick actually survived that and turned that over themselves there was an awful lot of rooks that they won and they, you know that they sort of gang tackled Kenny players and turned yeah. over the ball. It was a f- half of two halves. It really. was definitely was. Yeah, incidentally, there was a huge amount of bloody rooks in that game. You know, people will rave about the quality of the game. The quality of the game, you know, wasn't as high I think as people were writing it to be. Um, if you go, there, you know, hurl, hurl, hurlers hate to see rooks going on around the place where six or seven players were in trying to dig out the ball and all of that. And there was a lot of them in that, and there was a lot of throw-ins in that game as well. Um, but uh, go back to your point, Willie. Um, Look, that's a major factor. If your key uh, parts of your game plan um, just aren't getting possession in the scoring areas, um, well, then, you know, you're in a little bit of trouble. The the, 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 the real trick about that, I think, is Kyle Hayes um, um, and Gerard are, you know, they, would be, they could equally play wing backs. Are they out and out efficient scoring machines? Garot Hager. Yeah. Are they out and out efficient? Now, Tom Morrissey has played mostly hurling in the forwards. Um, you compare that to the likes of um, Adrian Mullen, the case in pint. Um, you know, did he get that many possessions? Not a huge amount. What was his scoring return from the possessions he got? More importantly, in the tight situations, what was return? I mean, his score was an incredible score, the one that he scored on, on the back foot. Um, and that's the little bit of a difference in the in the Garrod Hegarty's Kyle Hayes, Tom Morrissey uh, work. They're massive high on work rate, but maybe not as high on execution of scores in tight positions. And of course, when, you were, when your possessions in the hand drop a little bit, that's going to be even a further problem. And I saw some stuff as well about um, about um, Aaron Galan, you know, being double teamed and that. That's not what I saw. I saw Hugh Lawler going one on one most of the time, and a lot of the time he was actually left on his own, just simply out hurling Aaron Galan. Um, and I, I, I think there's one crucial part that I, I've alluded to a number of times over the last year. I thought that Seamus Flanagan was the most important player in the Limerick way of playing. Yeah. And he wasn't exactly the marquee scorer or skills man or anything like that, but he was the critical person who opened up the space. And a lot of the games I would have seen, I would I would have seen um, um, the coach going into him and actually telling him where he wanted to be. Kinnerk, yeah. Paul Kinnerk going into him and telling him where he wanted to be. And certainly in the All-Ireland, I remember being to him at one stage and Seamus Flanagan was actually running up and down the far sideline and of course the Galway full back uh, followed him out, opened up all the space for Galan. And I think this year they changed that around. Now I do think Seamus Flanagan probably lost a little bit of form. I, I saw him below on Turles the day of the Munster Championship match against Tip and he had four or five chances of getting the ball in his hand and he just dropped it. He just seemed to have lost form yeah. This year for for whatever reason, and Limerick then went with three scoring full forwards, but they didn't have anybody there in that full forward line to open up the places and open up the space for the likes of Gillan and that to, to you know really get the ball in a different position. So most of the time they were getting the ball contested with Hugh Lawler or or, or Paul Murphy or, or whoever. And I just thought that um, Seamus Flanagan may not be the marquee player, but he was hugely influential in winning an All Ireland for for Limerick last year. And you know he may have just lost form and. You, know, you can't pick a player if he's not in form simple as um, but I thought he was a fierce loss to, to Limerick Yeah no he definitely was just to finish up on the Shane Dowling goal um, Cheddar you're following hurling a long time playing it a long time have you ever seen it, anything like that? I know I coach, do coach that now really? uh, Willie, to do, from yeah. that distance though because yeah. we see it a lot like Colin Fenley can do it a, yeah. when you're on top of the goalie yeah. and there's a lad chasing you but this was from 21 I know it was now. it was out a bit alright I do agree with you on that 21 uh, yards out um, but look coaches do coach that You know, generally speaking the, the commentary is you know, take it into the white of the eyes of the goalkeeper and then execute like that um, it's, that's to avoid being hooked but yeah. I don't think he did it to avoid 
avoid being hooked. I thought he did it because there was a lad in front of him and he would have expected a, a normal shot. This just, I think this yeah. was done in a different scenario to ever yeah. I'd seen it being done before. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. But the point, the point I'm making is though that they do practice this now. So it's sort of, you know, it's not something that they have to sort of think about as such. Um, and I do agree with you. It was, it was further out than the norm here now, de- definitely. Um, and you wonder a little bit, you know, um, I think Limerick have used Shane very well in the last year obviously they gave him a couple of chances to stake a place on the team uh, this year and he probably just didn't grab it um, but you'd wonder on Sunday that you know particularly when your scores at 10, 11 and 12 weren't really nailing it uh, sorry I, w- I just wanted to go back to one point on that Willie um, I thought that Kenny were dominating the game and they were dominating the game by just wearing down t- the team here and I don't want to underplay their, their qualities in the team I'm just making that point and Limerick pulled back uh, Kyle Hayes to play in front of their, the centre back at the time of course we didn't know at the time that the player was injured um, but when they did that they actually got a toehold in the game and, and played a little, little bit better um, and in the second half seemed to move Kyle back up the field again when they brought on Barry Murphy and you just wonder that if they had made a couple of changes like that uh, you know would it, would it have made, some, made a difference to, to Limerick because they weren't really firing uh, particularly with that 10 and 12 coming deep gathering ball being an outlet for ball coming after the, the defence um, and that and, and um, you know they, they just as you said didn't get enough possession really to be to be creative enough to be able to either put ball inside or to shoot from distance and you just wonder if they had made that change uh, with Shane coming in you know would you snuck a couple of pints to get over the line it's hard yeah. to look again counterfactual you don't know do you, do you think that a team has reached its peak system wise like Limerick and now they might need to rethink it a bit because when you talk about Kilkenny not following their half forward line as much you saw them in Ennis with Clare did the same thing and that seems to be the secret now and have your forwards working like dogs even your full forward line working like dogs so when teams have probably tactically especially after watching Kilkenny maybe do well against it next year do they need to have some sort of plan B where they're, they're maybe have a lot more of a long ball option and not everything has to go through you know a structured kind of short ball game I know I think I think you would have you'd want that anyway Wally you look you, on any given day you know the system just might sit sit down on you and you, you know you need something else you need something different and I, d- I do think that Limerick probably did come with something different in the full forward line this year play either the three across flat across the front or that have another man coming out the field it might be Peter Casey some, some of the times um, they did certainly come with something different um, but I just think that the main plank of their system um, of winning the ball working it through the hands um, just it, it was good um, but it just wasn't as slick as last year and there was just a number of breakdowns that you wouldn't have seen last year in terms of working the ball through the hands but crucially the shooting just simply let him down. On you know, unmarked sometimes in front of the goal, shot some wides. You know, it's it's not typical of that quality of player. It's certainly not typical at that level. Um, and so you know, you ask the question. You know, I wouldn't think they need to change anything. Um, one thing they do need Get to Flanagan do Flanagan back and forth Well I, I, I just think he certainly would add different dimension Yeah no, I, there, I made that point on a, Monday There's too. a different dimension to when he's playing um, but look they have the quality and they have a lot of young players to come on there as well um, I think it would be helpful if they had uh, you know one or two players to come in to just give it a real energy boost uh, but they'd need to be better players than what's there you don't mind just bringing somebody in for the sake of it uh, but you know certainly they haven't reached their peak yet but that would be very much down to the hunger within the team and the hunger within the team to prove themselves and to improve themselves um, and look you go back to Clare in 2013 you know people said they were going to be there for a little while you go back to Tip in 2010 people said they were going to dominate for 10 years did they have that real um, single mindedness to be the greatest team there ever was um, and not alone just to be that but to put in place whatever is needed to be that um, you'd probably say no they took their foot off the pedal a little bit and the margins at the top Willie is probably 1% you take your foot off the pedal 10 mile an hour and somebody's going to pass you out and that's what happens um, so I, I think Limerick have uh, obviously getting the same management back again will be crucial to them um, and you know re-energising the, the dressing room and that again and going again it, you know look there was, there was nothing in it they beat themselves really on Saturday night to be honest yeah yeah, so don't rip, rip up the script. Anyways, listen, that's all we've time for. Only one thing less left to announce, and that is we'll be doing a live show in Liberty Hall on Thursday, the 15th of August. That's obviously before the All-Ireland Hurling Final. So we know it's Kilkenny tip. And my father said to me, you would have been hoping for Wexford Limerick with the support. And I was like, OK, that's a good point. But Kilkenny tip have some serious legendary players that we can call on that maybe Limerick and Wexford don't. So, like, I mean, it's going to be a brilliant show. We'll have a lineup. Um, announced fairly soon but it, it will be in Liberty Hall here in Dublin on the 15th of August so keep your eye out for 
for that. And Willie, before you go off to that, I've got to give a call out to Tom Dempsey, um, one of the best singers I ever heard last Thursday night. Very good. His 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 uh, his song did a hundred thousand views on uh-huh. Twitter on Twitter alone. And so it went down I'm a tree. Surprised. To be honest with you, I was at the side that I was searching for a hurley there. Um, you know, he'd motivate anybody. I was even going to grab a, <laughs> grab a leg off the table in front of me and, and go out there flaking. It um, was it was passionate stuff. But like was, yes. I I honestly I know I think I know the words off to both those songs. I watched those two videos so many times. It was just brilliant, brilliant stuff out of the two lads. Uh, there's one other point, Willie. I'm going to finish in this one, please. I know we're a little bit over time. There was a number of years when um, I thought Wexford always played with heart. Um, sorry, Wexford teams always did play with heart. But I just thought there was just too much emotion and not enough um, structure and planning and intelligence and all of that. And I think they've got that absolutely right at the minute. Um, and look, I said earlier on, I think, you know, Wexford needs to need to move quickly now in terms of keeping this team uh, properly motivated in the right place with the right people to, to try and get over the line yeah exactly right that's it we will be back um, won't be next Monday actually we've no hurling to review this weekend we'll be back this day next or Thursday week tomorrow next uh, tomorrow week and we'll do a show for you then we'll talk to you then good luck the GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power home of the GA Hour hurling ACA well, when I started running I suppose I didn't stop and when I got the chance to go I said I should go and so I opened up we were only the small little fish out there so we are and uh, we're trying hard to make it through but it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish because I love this county so much you know and it's just I'm delighted that the lads the lads did it for the people of Walford today because like I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken <laughs> Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.